Hello, hello. It is great to see you again and welcome back to another installment of Modern Wealth Management. I'm your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff, but you knew that already because you're a frequent viewer on this show and it's great to have you back with us for today's, uh, you know, today's conversation. And I'm excited about today's show for a lot of reasons. Most importantly, we've got a special guest joining us today, Miss Lisa Curry, to discuss some, you know, year-end tax strategies amid the wide variety of tax proposals that are out there these days. So, you know, what we're going to be doing today for today's conversations. We're going to toss it over to Derek. Derek and Lisa are going to drive the conversation. I'll be hanging out in the background to field any questions or comments that might come through on today's live stream here. Uh, but either way, we're going to let them kind of drive the conversation forward. A lot of great stuff to get to given all of these tax proposals and what that can do to your financial portfolio. So we've got a lot of good stuff to get into today. So I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to Derek to get the conversation rolling. Thanks a lot, Ryan. We're we're so happy to uh, to do this again, and I am thrilled that Lisa is able to join us. One of the things that makes Monon Wealth Management a little bit different than other investment management firms is that we really focus in on advanced planning through what we call a virtual family office, and that is where we. Uh, really understand who our client is, and then try and build a professional team around that individual or family so that we can not only increase their wealth through proper investment management, but also do four other things, mitigate taxes, help them get their arms around the things that they already have so it can't be taken away from them unjustly, make sure that they take care of their heirs and then maximize uh, their charitable donations to whatever extent they are charitable. Today, we're really going to focus in on that first part, which is mitigating taxes. And I'm not real sure if there's ever been a year where I've been in business, and I've been in business now for more than 20 years. Uh, there's, I don't know if there's been another year where there's less clarity on what we're gonna be doing with taxes moving forward. I mean, as we sit here today, there we've been uh, we've been we've heard all kinds of different proposals that have been suggested. We know that uh, Congress and Senate and President Biden, everybody has their own agenda. They're trying to figure this thing out and trying to negotiate where we move forward. So with 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 a lack of clarity that we have right now, I really wanted to bring in one of our most important partners, and that is Lisa Curry. Lisa is a tax expert and a partner at Cat Sapper Miller, and I want to introduce you to her right now. Lisa, how you doing? Hi, Derek. Good to see you. Thanks for having me today. Oh, it's uh, I I appreciate you carving out some time in your schedule to. To spend some time with uh, with me and and our clients and and all the the viewers, uh, Lisa, you know, just to kind of kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about about the firm, about you and the firm that you work for? Sure. So so as Derek said, I'm a partner at Cat Sapper and Miller. Otherwise, sometimes you hear us known referred to as KSM. So either of those that that's who we're talking about here. We've been around, we've been doing business for coming up now on 80 years, um, have primarily been focused, you know, a pub, public accounting firm that has primarily for, for decades been focused on um, tax and audit services. Still our core services that we provide are, are definitely in that tax and audit um, 
field, but then we've we've grown exponentially over the years, grown with new clients, with our our original clients, and helping them expand their business, sell their business, um, you know, grow their business, give to to their children, pass along in their family. Um, re- really, kind of anything you think. We're very entrepreneurial based, so we've got a a lot of um, kind of what you would call mom and pop shops that we've worked with from the beginning. And then we go all the way up to, you know, multi-million dollar clients that that we work with from a, like I said, audit or tax standpoint. So kind of cover the array of being, you know, what you hear in that that trusted advisor role for our clients. Um, that's so great. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I think that that's, you know, I think that that's one of the reasons that uh, that we've partnered so well. We serve uh, a similar clientele, that entrepreneurial focused uh, individual who is really focused in on not only taking care of their business, but using the business as a means to take care of their family. Wouldn't you find that that's kind of a, a characteristic of a lot of the people we take care of? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, Lisa, we, you know, we've been hearing lots of rumors lately. Uh, and it does, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal every single day. I read Barron's on the weekends, and uh, like a lot of our clients, you know, my, the news is is frequently on, and it's really, really tough to understand and decipher everything that we're hearing around the tax environment. Can you kind of lead us down this path and tell us, you know, out of all the rumors uh, that that we're hearing, just paint us a picture as to what is going on. Sure, absolutely. Now, I will tell you, we'll start this conversation, and we may end up in like five different directions at different times, and we'll come back and revisit. <laughs> and that that kind of seems to be the way some of these tax provisions go. But um, obviously, it'd be ideal, right, if we had a crystal ball and could say, okay. Here's what this year is going to look like. Or starting in 2022, here's what the changes are to the tax law, and here's what we're going to see, and here's how we plan for it. Um, I think, as you alluded to earlier, this year um, has been a tricky one when it comes to trying to provide those planning services, whether it be just around your tax planning for your business, for you individually, um, or if it's as far as if you're close to that kind of succession planning and is it time to sell my business um, with a lot of the stuff that was talked about in these early provisions uh, earlier in the year, people, I think were kind of rushing to, Hey, if I'm, I'm close to selling my business within a couple of years, maybe it's time because I want to avoid these increased tax rates that I'm hearing about. And I want to avoid um, the increased capital gains rates that I'm hearing about. So I think there were a lot of people exploring those options kind of looking at those types of things and planning in that way. Um, and now as we talk more, you'll see, and I, I I won't go through all of the history, but the current proposal that is out right now that's waiting on the Senate to pass is has pulled a lot of those changes out that, that we heard about in the beginning. So I think what's important as we're talking today is not only to kind of talk about what's currently sitting there, which again, I'll say, has not passed, and and as I'm talking about some of these things, and I may, you know, I want to make sure and remind everybody that it's not definite because it hasn't passed. But we'll talk right. about what we're seeing right right now in the current proposal. But I think it's important that we also touch on what what everybody has probably heard over the past year, because 
there's been some of the some of those changes where it's kind of like you'll you start thinking you're like well I heard you know I heard my tax rate was going to go up two percent and now you're telling me it's not was I dreaming was I crazy so I just think it's, it might be important for us to kind of touch on those and say well yes this is what you've heard this is where it's gone and here's where we're at right now yeah yeah the, I, I I would agree I, and there isn't a day that goes by that I don't hear about something new. Uh, and yep. there isn't a day that goes by that I don't get a question about uh, from a client or a prospective client about, hey, I've heard this and what does that mean for me? Right. It's, it, you know, if it's difficult for professional advisors like ourselves, Lisa, it's gotta be extremely challenging for our clients. Yeah, uh, and difficult, you- I mean, look, I have notes with me because literally <laughs> as we're sitting here having this conversation, some of these things we're talking about could be changing, uh, you know, as we're, as we're talking, it, it's just such an ever-changing environment with some of this stuff. So yeah, I, I'm sure it can be, uh, it's overwhelming for people who aren't in this industry and in this field every day to hear some of the stuff they're hearing and, and know what to do with it. All right. Well, let's, let's give them some ideas. So, you know, we've heard lots of things thrown out there. Why don't you kind of, uh, why don't you kind of decipher out of all the stuff that's gone out there, what has kind of already gone to the wayside and is less likely to actually make it into law? And what is it that we really need to be prepared for and be thinking about as we move uh, towards the end of this year and into 2022? Sure. So the most recent probably that, that you've heard of or you might be hearing in the news and what just just a few days ago was passed by the House is the BBBA or the Build Back Better Act. Um, there's lots of acronyms you hear on different things and, and we'll touch a little bit on obviously the past two years, you know, year and a half, two years, there's been lots of different acts related to COVID that have had lots of, um, tax implications. So lots of acronyms out there and it's like, what's this act and what's that, that act, but where was it right now with the BBBA? Um, one of the kind of, I, I wrote down kind of the top three things that probably affect most of the people listening to us today. Mm-hmm. Um, is a lot of conversations back in May when the first, um, the green book is what was coming out with new tax provisions. One of the hot topics that was being talked about is that corporate income tax rates were going to increase. So currently in this, so a C corp, when you're paying tax as a corporation, um, rate, the current corporate rates are 21%. So originally back in May and even then in August and September, they were with the House Ways and Means, they were talking about increasing that to 28%. That was the initial proposal. Second proposal, the House Ways and Means, they had adjusted a little and said, I think they said they would have it more of a graduated, like 21 up to 25%, depending on your income, and, and it would be a graduated scale. Well, now here we sit with the most recent proposal, the BBBA, and they've completely pulled that out and said, corporate tax rates are going to stay at 21%. So from a corporation standpoint, um, we're kind of back where we, back where we started. Um, That's one of those, I don't know if there were big, if anybody, I know a few years back when rates changed significantly with the TCJA, um, lots of companies were like corporations were looking at, Hey, should we, should we consider making an S election or doing something like that? Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I personally did not have a lot of clients or corporations that with this discussion of rates going to 28% where, where we seriously considered it, but there may be people out here out there who were considering maybe an S election to avoid that increased rate. Um, but again, where we sit today is that we're back at the 21% for corporations. No, 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 no changes on, on corporate. Right. And right. I'll tell you that you know one of the one of the reasons that that is so important for uh, for our clients is e even if they don't own or if they're not they don't participate in a C corp. Well, I got news for you. Every publicly traded stock that's currently in your portfolio is a C corp, and them uh, and and increasing their tax rates on that uh, corporation. Uh, would seriously have an impact on future looking after tax earnings, which yeah. as we know, uh, ultimately can affect stock prices. So yeah, glad to hear that that, uh, at least for the time being, has been taken off the table. But, you know, what about this, um, what about this thing out there? And I don't, you know, before we get into the other, your other bullet points here, I'm hearing about this minimum tax, this global minimum tax on corporations. Uh, I think it's at 15%. How does yep. that coordinate with this 21% that I'm seeing now? So, so this 15% tax is is a it's a little bit of a unique. It's what's considered a minimum 15% book tax. And so I say that with without going into a ton of detail, but basically you've yep. got your you know, your audited financial statements or your book income, which a lot of times doesn't necessarily match taxable income because there's various books and tax book and tax differences or timing differences from, you know, accrual versus cash and and whatever that might be. So so this was to look at looking at true book income and saying, hey, what's your book income is? There's going to be a minimum 15 percent tax on that now. Having said that, that is for corporations that have income over $1 billion. Mm. So that really, I've got a couple notes pulled up in case I, I want to say, I may say the wrong number, but I want to say that's like maybe top 500. That's very few corporations, okay. especially the ones that we're working with. That's very few corporations that would, that that would affect. That would have to pay that 15. Well, it's really aimed that you know that that rule that that global law that yep. uh, is being agreed upon is really for the largest multinational uh, companies that exist in this world. So you know right. we're really talking about the top of the top, the the companies that not only compete here in the United States but they compete in Europe and China and. South America and and so forth. So yep. uh, so that that's good to know. But it, it's uh, I'm glad that that's been pulled off. It, it's another uh, it's another thing I can I can yeah. stop losing sleep over at night. That, and uh, just to just to give an idea on that, um, the so the BBBA the the tax provisions the tax increases in there have the goal of raising about 1.48 trillion. And that portion of it, this 15% minimum book tax, and you can see I'm cheating because I had pulled up. No, nope, that's fine. That 15% minimum book tax is um, intended to make up about 318, almost 319 billion of that 1.48 trillion. So that's kind of the 
you can do quick math in your head, you can tell what percentage that is. But that's kind of the the makeup of that part. That piece is is a goal of you know 319 billion of the of the trillion they're trying to make. So great. Well, the the you know the 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 next thing that I wanted to ask you about is this top individual uh, income tax rate, and this really does affect directly our clients. Yeah. What's going on? Are they raising our tax rates or or not? Well, as of now, no. As long as long as this gets through the Senate and the, and this is what passes. Again, this has been big discussion all year, and and really in each of the different provisions, this was always in there that the tax rate was the top tax rate, which is currently 37%, was going to increase to 39.6. And then in this last round, um, they pulled that back out and kept it at 37%. So again, that's like you said, a lot of a lot of our listeners today, a lot of our clients that we work with every day, this directly affects them Mm -hmm. and you know you think of it it's like oh it's what 2.6 percent increase is that really that's not that much but it it is if you you know if you're in that top tax bracket you're over you know you're half a million dollars of taxable income close to that so so two and a half percent on that starts to add up pretty quick especially when there's other taxes on different things that come in. So so that is one of those where as we were planning throughout the year, you know, with our individual clients where we plan for their quarterly tax estimates, that was something we were, you know, taking into account and saying, okay, if the tax rate's going to increase, you're going to owe more. So do we want to get some of that paid in now? Do we want to just plan for it and know you're going to have a big bill in April? Um, so, you know, that's where some people could see some difference if, if they planned for that increased tax rate and went ahead and kind of paid in with their quarterly yep. estimates based on that, then they may have some good news in April because they may be a little bit overpaid. Get, so, like, maybe get a little money back. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it, let, let, let's... often, right, we see these big, you know, with new administration and big tax changes coming in. Um, sometimes there's usually pieces of good news, but it feels like there's still always some hits here and there. Individuals are always going to see some hit on their tax. So having this come back out, it was, you know, kind of good news for our top bracket taxpayers. All right. Well, that's good news. What about this capital gains rate that we're, that we're hearing? I I hear there's big changes on that and clients have been asking me, um, you know, is it, is it imperative that if they're going to sell their business over the next five years, that they get it done by 1231 of uh, of this year, um, we're also looking at you know I mean hey the the capital markets have been good we have uh, you know here at Monon Wealth we have some clients that have huge capital gains on on some of their holdings yeah uh, what's going on with this and, and how do I need to prepare so this is this is another big one where throughout the year if you were kind of planning for cert- for what they were talking about um, which was so right now, capital gains rates, I'll talk in, you know, capital gains rates are basically 20%. If you're in a lower tax bracket, um, let's see, I have, if you're in, if your tax bracket's from 80,000 to, this is married filing jointly, up to 500,000, then your capital gains is actually only 15%. Okay. Anyone over 500,000 is 20%. So that's the current, current capital gains rates. 
the discussions in May, and then again, even in with the House and Ways, which I think was around in September, um, was that that was going to go away. Again, I think this was for the higher income taxpayers, um, but the capital gains rate was going to go away and their capital gains were going to be taxed at ordinary tax rates. So we're talking a spread from you used to paying 20% on capital gains to what they were talking about if they had increased the rate 39.6%. So almost 20% increase of tax on your capital gains. So right, like you mentioned, from a planning standpoint, um, we, we have seen, we have a transactions group within KSM who helps with buy side or sell side due diligence um, with any types of transactions. And they are busy, like crazy busy. Because again, a lot of these business owners who, you know, maybe they were two to three or even five years out from considering selling, retiring, selling, or, you know, there's a lot of, um, a lot of action out there with PE firms buying. So any of those considerations and, and these people are thinking of selling a business with probably pretty sizable gains, that's a 20% tax difference that they were potentially going to realize. So yeah. I think a lot of people did start exploring that. Where we stand today is that that has been, again, out of the BBBA, that has been pulled back out and capital gains rates are going to stay as they currently are, which is the 20% rate for, for most people um, or the or the 15% rate. Okay. So again, another one of from our individual standpoint and our business owners that might be going through transactions, another piece of really good news that we like to hear. Yeah, so may, maybe uh, there's not the there's not the increased rush to get this done in 2021. Is that what I'm hearing? Right, exactly. You've got a little more time, and I don't know on on your end. Um, maybe you can speak to this a little bit as far as. You know, we would get questions sometimes from should they be harvesting losses and mm -hmm. trying to offset some of their current gains? You know, obviously, that's always a one of those topics where it's like from a tax standpoint, here's what it could do. Here's what we could save. But again, ultimately, you've got to be involved in what's best for their portfolio and their investment strategy and what that looks like. So I'm sure that's conversations you've been having with your clients in in you know, navigating these potential capital gains changes. There are, you know, there, there are, um, there are a lot of consequences to taking capital gains. And one is, is that you have to pay the taxes. The second part is, is that you have to find new places to invest that same capital. And so I'll just give you some, an example. I mean, uh, we're here in central Indiana Eli Lilly is probably the largest holding here in Indianapolis uh, amongst all of our citizens and, and certainly our clients, and it's had a, a heck of a run. Well, um, you know, we've been having these conversations about, hey, you've got these huge gains. Should we take them this year versus sometime down the road? Because one of the other things, Lisa, that we've been hearing about is, is that uh, that that maybe we're going to lose this step up in basis when we pass away. And just to kind of remind our audience, what this means is that, you know, if you had a million dollar gain in Eli Lilly stock, well, if you pass away, 
um, your 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 children or whoever it is that inherits that money, well, they inherit it at a stepped up cost basis. They inherit it with a cost basis at the same price it is on the day you die. And boy, when they said that they might be pulling that, that threw a lot of planning questions our way. Can you comment on that? Because yeah. it seems like that one's maybe died a little bit, but why don't you tell us what's going on? How do we get there and 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 where where are we going moving forward? Yep, you're exactly right. That was a huge, huge hot topic. And I and I think that was one too, I think people would hear in the news and maybe didn't totally understand what it meant, but they knew it meant something that what they've worked for to save and be able to give to their children or grandchildren was suddenly going to cost them, you know, cost their their kids more tax. And and so I think trying to understand that and know what it meant, I, I heard a lot around that. Um, but yes, where we stand today is they have pulled that back out. So that was the discussion that was in the original provisions was that they were going to take away that step up in basis. So essentially, in the, like the example you gave, you know, if someone's got stock that they've held for a really long time, they have, may have very low basis in it, and then you know they pass away and and yeah. their kids inherit it. Um, there could be, you know, let's say there's a hundred thousand dollar gain there based on their basis and what it's worth on the day they yeah. die. Right now, that that $100,000 gain basically goes away because the who inherited it gets the basis, like you said, on that day. It goes that. away for tax purposes. There's it, no tax exactly. that's going to be paid on that $100,000. Exactly. Um, and they were talking about pulling that out and saying, nope, when they inherit that, they've got to pay tax on that gain. They don't, they yeah. don't get that step up in basis. And that, you know, that could have been really big for people and and yeah well you know it's one thing if you own uh some liquid eli Lilly stock and you can sell some of it to cover the taxes but i want you to think about if it is a uh you know a family that owns a trucking company that's 70 to 100 million dollar trucking company right well, if they didn't get that stepped up cost basis my guess is it's going to be awful tough to come up with you know what are you going to do you know sell sell 40% of the trucks, you know, it's right. really difficult. Or I want you to think about uh, all the farmers that we have here in central Indiana. You know, uh, it's long been known that estate taxes are one of the main reasons that families lose their farms. Yeah. Well, now we've got, now they're adding this really right on top of it. And it just seems like it's something that we really need to to keep our eyes on as we're advising these high net worth families on on their largest assets. Yep, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And that just fitting right in with kind of where we're where we're at now and what we're talking about with the step up in basis. Um, we we obviously should go ahead and mention too the other big discussion around estate planning is yeah. you know the the current lifetime exemption is eleven. Uh, 11.7 million, I think. I forget if yeah. that's 2021s or if that's what 2022 is going to be, but yeah, 11.7 million is your lifetime exemption. So you, you know, in your lifetime, you can gift up to 11.7 million without having gift tax implications on you or the person that you gift to. The proposals early on this year were saying that was going to go back down to 
5 million, I think increased for inflation, but back to 5 million, which is what it was a handful of years ago. I forget how long we've been at the increased amount of 11 million. So that again was huge. We, that's where I had a lot of clients looking at that saying, okay, we've got to, they maybe had some gifting strategies planned over the next, you know, 10 years of their life based on their age or what they were planning on doing. And they accelerated a lot of that to get it gifted before the end of this year to make sure they could use that 11 million. Now that is um, pulled back out and we're still at the 11.7 million. So again, one of those where we, we were kind of just chasing our tails. It felt like this year and and trying to plan um, and, you know, plan wisely preserve our wealth, save in taxes, care for, you know, care for our heirs. children, like all of it and, and trying and to do there's the some right charitable thing. aspects in that as well, isn't exactly. there? Exactly. Yes. And then it comes, comes back around where we're back, where we started, which again is, is great news. Now I will tell you right now that, that 11.7 million lifetime exemption, it is scheduled to sunset in 2025. And okay. at that point, we would go back to, I think it would be 6 million beginning in 2026. Okay. I've got one, I was talking with one of my tax partners, and he feels like that will probably still change before the end of 2025. He, he thinks, again, no crystal ball. We talked about that earlier. We don't know this, but yeah. he, would, he was saying he would be surprised if we really go back down to the five or six. There may be some slight changes to it, but he feels like something new will come along that will keep it at this higher level. Okay. All right. Well, that that's good news, but it's, you know, you talk about chasing your tail. It's really, um, you know, I know that sometimes in our profession, it feels like that, but that's what it really is. When we're stress testing a client's situation and we're putting it through its, its tests, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but what we can do is, properly position uh, different strategies so that no matter what happens, the client is still getting the very best outcome. So what I, you know, audience, what I want you to hear from Lisa is, is that she doesn't know exactly what's going to happen, but she's working with her clients on a regular basis to say, Hey, no matter what happens, you're still going to be taken care of. And it sounds like a lot of the actions that people have been taking throughout 2021. Well, Maybe they were unnecessary this year, but you know, just as easily this could have gone a different direction. So in talking about it going in a different direction, I mean, all we've talked about is, hey, these things aren't changing. Lisa, what is changing? So that is a great question. One of the big things that, again, when we say is changing, it's if this passes, but one of the things in there, there are some things that we think will definitely pass that are um, around foreign tax, foreign tax, and in, in there's that's kind of its own unique little world. So that's one of those where, without going into a ton of detail, if yeah. if you're involved in some sort of, you know, ownership in a foreign entity or have foreign tax, that's something we should talk about offline and look at because there are some changes in there that are um, that are will likely go through. One of the big things that probably affects most people listening, um, I think, would at least a majority of my clients do this. I'm sure a lot of yours do, your clients that we don't share, is this backdoor Roth conversion. Yeah. 
that's a very hot topic. Lots of people doing the backdoor Roths. Give a high level overview of that. It's basically a way to, um, you can contribute to a traditional IRA, even if your income's too high. So it's a non-deductible contribution to an IRA. And then you can immediately convert that convert that contribution that you just did in your traditional IRA into a Roth. So no current tax implication on that because you had basis in the contribution you made, you converted it to Roth. So now it's in the Roth that is in, you know, is going to grow. And then when you take it out in retirement or when it goes to your children um, or grandchildren, that's not taxable. So obviously benefit of having money in that Roth. The, the BBBA right now has has taken away that ability because basically they're what they're doing is saying, I mean, you can still convert money from traditional to Roth, but it's going to be on a taxable basis because basically what they're taking away is that you can no longer make those non-deductible traditional IRA contributions. Okay, so just, j just to clarify there, we still can do Roth conversions. Yeah. What you can't do is what's called the backdoor Roth, which is where you make an after-tax IRA contribution and then immediately convert that to a Roth. Right. That's going away from what I hear because, not because of the conversion aspect, but because you can no longer make an after-tax IRA contribution. Exactly. Is that correct? Yep, that's exactly right. Okay. And this applies to the to the backdoor Roth that a lot of people have probably heard of, which is, you know, your yeah. traditional IRA contribution is six thousand, it may be sixty five hundred this yeah, year. Yeah, it goes up a little bit each year. Yeah. And then there is also what's become a little more popular recently is what people refer to as a mega backdoor Roth. It's really the same concept. It's just through a plan where you're able to do um, it's through kind of an employer-based plan, and you're able to do after-tax contributions and can get almost 55000 or might even be 58000 a lot higher number that you're contributing to an after-tax and then immediately converting. Um, same concept, just mega, like it's called. Okay. Bigger money. So it, it, is that, that is as popular? More. I mean, a lot of our clients now within their 401k plans have the option and the availability to make Roth 401k contributions. Right. Um, is that still, is that, are we still okay there? And, and how does that differ from this mega, uh, Roth conversion that you're talking about? So the mega Roth is, it's different in that there's not, <clears throat> there's not the component of contributing directly to a Roth. You're contributing to a regular 401k plan. Um, but using after-tax dollars. So you've done your deferral, your 19 mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then your plan is set up such that <clears throat> there's additional ability to contribute more. I don't know all the details on all the plans, because so it may be yeah. where you've got to look at census and look at your highly compensated employees, and those are the ones who are able to do this. Um, but they've got this this you know extra money that they can put away after tax through their employer employed plan and then immediately convert that to Roth. Well, I know you and I've worked on some of those plans in the past and uh, certainly we're, we're still, you know, still able to help people out with that. So, yeah. so we, we know that the uh, backdoor Roth is going away. Uh, the ability to do traditional Roth 
conversions. That hasn't been taken away from us, correct? Correct. You can still okay. do that. They will just be on a taxable okay. basis. Now, so, one, one kind of highlight or planning point to think of is you, because you can do these Roth, your traditional IRA contribution and then Roth conversion, you have until you file your return. So mm -hmm. you have until April 15th of 2022 to do your 2021 um, contribution and conversion. Yeah. One suggestion that we're encouraging clients just because when and if they do pass the, the Senate, when they pass the BBBA, we don't know if it's going to be retroactive to some point in 2021, if it's going to be starting in 2022. Um, it may start in 2022, but if you haven't already done those Roth conversions, you can't still do them. Yeah. For, so our suggestion would be if you typically do that, um, and sometimes maybe you don't do it till March or April when you're filing your return, Go ahead and get that done before the end of the year. Okay. So uh, one takeaway there is if you're going to do an after-tax IRA contribution and then consider converting it to Roth, um, get that done before the end of this year. What yeah. else is changing? Where are um, they coming up with all this money? Right. So we talked about the, there's a couple other uh, between the, the foreign stuff and then there's a small corporate tax buyback. So if you're buying back corporate stock, again, that's a very minimal portion of people that that will apply to. Um, another two or two of the bigger sections where they're getting some of this money that would have probably or could likely affect some of our listeners are going to be this, there's going to be this extra surtax of, now this is for the high income taxpayers. So if we've got individuals with income over $10 million, they're going to have a, a, a surtax of 5% on that income. So you're already paying your 37% ordinary tax rate. Mm -hmm. You have an additional 5% surtax. And then anybody over $25 million will have an additional 3%. So potentially a total of 8% surtax on top of your regular rate. Now, again, these are high income numbers that we're talking about. So it's the very- I don't low. even know anybody that has an income that high. Is this kind of clientele that you're working with? Uh, I should not have any clients. Now I say that I shouldn't have any clients that will be affected by this unless there could be some in a year of, tra of a transaction. If they sold exactly. their business, they could have income over 10 million from the sale of their business. Um, so it, it could apply to some. And that's where I wanted to go with that because most people think about, oh, you know, a $10 million income. I mean, come on, what percentage of people actually have a, a W-2 that reads $10 million, right? right? Uh, I, I don't know of anybody. Uh, but where it does come into play is what, like we mentioned earlier in this conversation is that we have a tremendous amount of clients that are considering their succession planning, considering what are they going to do with this business that they've worked so hard and they've built up? This is a tax where which would absolutely or could absolutely yeah. uh, affect those individuals because in that year that they do that transaction, that year that they sell their business, well, they they absolutely could have uh, income over 10 million as the price of their business could be 20, 30, or, yeah. or like, like some people we know, they're selling their business for 100 million. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's one area. Another thing that is is in there that's going to create some of this this tax revenue is um, this. There's a 3.8% net investment income tax that's going to be expanded to all business income. So when I say that, you maybe have heard of that. It's sometimes referred to NIT tax. So right now there is a 3.8% tax on it's called the 3.8% net tax. So it's on your net investment income. So any passive income that you have, your interest, your dividends, your capital gains. And then if you have passive income from, you know, maybe you're an owner in a business, but you don't actively participate in it, that's considered passive income. All of that okay. income currently is, has this additional 3.8% tax that, that's applied to it. They um, are expanding that now so that that 3.8% tax is on all business income. So our, our business owners that are, you know, S-Corp business owners that are active in their business, right now they may get a K-1, they, they get a W-2, mm -hmm. that income's taxed, taxed as normal, yep. ordinary rate, Not it doesn't apply to this NIT. Then their S-Corp K-1, their income that comes through to them from that since they're active in that business, it does not, the net currently, the 3.8% does not apply to that S-Corp income. Going forward, if this passes, it will. So there'll be this additional 3.8% on, on all business income. So from an S-Corp standpoint, that one of the benefits of an S-Corp is that you've, you've got this kind of little bit of a play in, in saving in some payroll taxes because yes. your, your S-Corp income that you get is not self-employment income. Um, this, this proposal kind of takes that away. So, mm. so that, that small payroll tax benefit you get from being an S-Corp will, will pretty much go away. Not to say there's not good reasons to still be an S corp, um, and and it doesn't mean you shouldn't be one. But that that benefit that people sometimes realize from that is is not going to be there anymore. Well, we're an S corp, so what I just heard is my taxes are going up. Yes. All right. Well, let's kind of wrap up this conversation. Uh, I think it's gone great so far, but you know, let's just wrap up this conversation with an overarching. You know, what can what can wealthy business owners, uh, what can they do in this environment of change and uncertainty? What can they do to make sure that one, that, that they're not missing out on any opportunities and two, that they're not setting themselves up for some type of failure moving forward? What can they do to, to really improve their situation? Yeah, I think First and foremost, which we've kind of already talked about in the beginning, is having that right team around them um, to to kind of stay ahead of the game in when it comes to preparing or planning or knowing what you've got, knowing knowing the value of your business and knowing what your ultimate goal is with it and what you want to do with it. Um, having those those heirs that are ready to take over or are there none and are there potential buyers out there that you want to consider? Um, I don't think it's ever too early to kind of explore those options and have a game plan of, of where you think things might go. And I guess I say that with, if anything, this year has proved proven that we don't know what's going to happen. And we heard all these different tax law changes that we're going to have that could have happened and could have a huge impact on that. 
Um, and so people are kind of rushing around and scrambling to figure out what they want to do to best save. Um, and then now, luckily, a lot of that's pulled back out. But like you said earlier, in two years or three years or next administration, this yeah. could all happen again. So kind of staying ahead of the game and 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 having a you know a, a plan in mind of of what you've got, what it what you want to do with it, where it's going to go. Um, I think mm -hmm. that's always important. Um, working with your advisors. And now, like I said, there's not a ton of, of true like tax rate changes or big, big things going on that where you can um, do a lot to try to avoid. You know, there was one year when the corporate if corporate tax rates were going to be increasing, we would have said, you know, leave some money in your corporation this year while it's yeah. still 21 percent rate and then paid out next year those rates aren't changing. So that's not something that you've got to worry about trying to do. Um, there's always the basics when it comes to year end tax planning, there's always the basics of looking at your business or, or do you have some big capital expenders? I mean, we, we always try to accelerate expenses, um, accelerate any deductions you can. Um, do you have any big capital expenditures that you that you might make? Well, if you do that before end of year, you can take bonus depreciation and get that deduction all you know, in this current year. So kind of some of those typical things that we would look at yeah. and suggest each year. Um, one, one thing I would throw out there that we haven't really talked about, and it could be a whole nother 30 minute conversation, um, but I, I at least want to mention some of the COVID related benefits that have, that we've seen. One of the big ones right now are the ERC credits or employee retention credits. A lot of business owners may have heard about those and thought, well, my business, I mean, I'm still here. I'm still open. Business is going well. I'm sure I don't qualify for those. If you haven't looked into that, um, you should check on it, call your advisor, ask them about it, because there are, we've got a lot of clients that were able to qualify for some of those credits. And I'm talking, I mean, I've got some clients that they're not huge and, and they're seeing a $130,000 credit, yeah. payroll tax credit from these ERC credits. So that's one thing um, that there's some, there's different requirements that have to be met and levels of complication and calculation. So we won't go into all that detail, but I, I do want to throw that out there that if you haven't looked at it, um, you should at least explore that and make sure it's a quarter by quarter thing. So there may be a quarter in 2020 because we can go back and amend the payroll tax returns to claim these credits. Yeah. But there may be a quarter in 2020 where your receipts were down compared to that same quarter in 2019. They may have been down enough to qualify you for these credits. And it's, you know, right. it's up to in 2020, it was a potential of a $5,000 credit per employee per quarter, okay. obviously based on certain, um, you know, calculations and restrictions. Now, but. Sounds like there's some opportunity there. Yeah. And uh, Lisa, I really appreciate your time today. Um, Ryan, before I toss it back to you, I, I, I want to reframe kind of what Lisa just, just talked about, you know, with all the changes that are happening right now. Uh, we have, you know, changes politically, economically, socially, and as we talked about today, taxation, 
right? So we have lots of things going on. And I don't know if, it, you know, in my 20 plus years of experience, if I've ever seen an environment that uh, really lended itself more to getting a second opinion or a stress test upon your situation. Lisa and I both talked about having a team. Well, you know, you more likely than not, you think you already have a team and, and they may be doing the right thing or, or they may not be. Lisa and I have partnered together before to do what we call a stress test. And that's where, you know, for, for the, the busy, successful uh, entrepreneur that's listening here today, what we really want to talk to you about is where are you at today and where is it that you're trying to go? What is it you want to do? At that point, we can take a look at all the different strategies that you're using, your taxation, your estate planning, your charitable, your insurance protection. We'll take a look at all the different things that you're doing, and, and really one of three things is going to come out of it. You know, One, hey, everything's perfect. It's exactly the way that it should be. You're taking advantage of every single opportunity and navigating around every single barrier that's in your way. Congratulations stay on that path. The second thing that could absolutely come out of it is, is that there's a couple of items on your, uh, on your opportunity or, or your checklist board that, that maybe they're, they're substandard, standard. They are not at the quality that they should be, or maybe the strategies are a little bit outdated. That's an opportunity for Lisa and myself and the rest of our team to, to raise our hand and say, hey, here's a couple things that you really ought to look at and you know, I think you got good advisors. Why don't you go back and talk with them about fixing these minor issues in the plan? The third thing that could happen is, is that there could be room for significant improvement, that you are currently not maximizing your opportunity and aiming yourself up to the very best future that you have. And if that's the case, Lisa and I are gonna partner with you, show you what those opportunities are and then show you a path as to how we can all work together to fix and improve your situation to make sure that ultimately you end up at your ideal, uh, your ideal future. And so with that, I just want to throw that out there and say, you know, in my world, if you have any questions at all, if you have any doubts that you're missing out on some things and don't really know where to go, partnering uh, or, or coming in here, partnering with Lisa and myself to do what we call a complimentary stress test and really taking a look at your situation is the best path to make sure that you're, that you're taking advantage of everything that you should. With that, Ryan, I'm going to throw it over to you to, to wrap this up. Alrighty, thank you so much, Derek and Lisa. A great conversation today. Appreciate you both carving time out of your busy schedules to be with us and the viewers today. Uh, and then a quick message to you, our viewers. You know, if you like today's conversation, if some of these year-end tax strategies, you know, really resonate with you and your portfolio, please do us a favor: like the show, comment, subscribe to it on whichever platform you're checking us out on today. And then, of course, share this information with friends, families, those business owners that Derek and Lisa had chatted about today. Because at the end of the day, this show, these conversations, they're meant for you. We're going to be bringing on some great guests, some great partners that Derek's been working with over these last 20 years uh, and having some other great conversations with them surrounding some of these wealth management related strategies. And we would hate to have you miss out on any great conversations down the road. So for Mr. Derek Hutchins and Miss Lisa Curry, I'm Ryan Ruff. We're saying so long today and we thank you so much much for joining us on today's edition of Modern Wealth Management.